A few years ago, I left the church because I was single. Although it didn't help that I was told I could not get involved in any form of leadership as a gay person, and that I didn't see any female role models, it was being on my own, mourning the end of my first relationship that eventually made me leave. Um, the church was totally geared to its families and students, so it was often 90 minutes of misery for 20 minutes of fellowship over coffee to then see families joining each other for lunch. And when on top of that, my small group, all couples bar me, decided to disband without my involvement in the decision, I left, as it was just too lonely and too painful for me and not worth the cost. So whichever situation you find yourself in, we hope something resonates with you today, that you know that you're welcome and that you feel like you can be and belong. I'll hand over to Alex now for um, telling us what's happening this afternoon. Yeah, just to let you know what's going to happen, so you know what's coming up. In a moment, we're going to have a few notices, because what is a Christian meeting without notices? Uh, then we're going to hand, going to hand over to Amy and her amazing Scratch worship group, um, who uh, will be leading us in worship. They have never played together before, ever. This is a, an experiment for us. Uh, they sounded pretty amazing earlier. Um, if you're musical and you'd like to get involved in that, do have a word um, and come along and join us next time. That would be marvellous. Um, then we're going to have three short reflections by um, each of our speakers, James, Rachel and Matt, uh, on the theme of singleness. Um, and then we'll have a final song. Um, and then afterwards, um, you are very, very welcome to join us either at the White Hart, which is a pub just over there where we've reserved sort of about half of the downstairs. Or uh, there'll be a group going to Byron as well, if the idea of a pub uh, in the West End on a Saturday night isn't your sort of thing. Um, and somebody will be taking us there. And we will... Does anyone remember who that was? It was Elaine. Where is Elaine? Oh, she's outside. <laughs> Elaine will come and say hello and follow her if you want to go to Byron. See. Right. Well, um, let's move on to um, what's happening the next time. Um, in November, we'll uh, welcome John Bell again. You might uh, know him from Greenbelt or uh, Thought for the Day. Uh, he spoke to us a couple of years ago and described our singing as um, like nightingales. So he'll be talking to us about singing in, in worship. And we'll also be sharing communion that day, and we're really excited to do that. It will also be our seventh birthday, so we're gathering uh, together in, um, in the um, downstairs floor space um, for, for a little gathering to mark our seventh birthday. And then you've got the dates for next year in uh, the flyers that you should all have on your, your seats. Um, so a warm welcome to, to put those in your diaries um, and join us for, for those meetings. Also on the flyer, you will notice there is a little bit of spiel about the gathering space on the back. Um, if you haven't heard about it yet, it is a supportive and friendly Facebook-based community for LGBTQ people. Um, a group of us who are kind of on the 223 team run it, um, along with some others. Um, it's a really great place to get to know other people, to stay in contact with people between meetings, um, and to kind of offer and give support as well. It's a secret group, so none of your friends on Facebook will be able to see that you're in it, or see what goes on in it. And the other group to tell you about at this point is Diverse Church Parents, um, Bruce and Janet are here, and they, they kind of run that group. There they are, over there. Um, so if you, are, if you know a parent of somebody who's LGBTQ who you think might benefit from some support in that area, then um, have a look at that. That's where you email. And they, 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 they meet up here before 2.23 meetings as well at 1 o'clock.
Excellent. The icebreaker now. <laughs> Awful. Uh, I'd like you, because it's important to say hello to the people around us, isn't it? Everyone loves that bit. So how about we just spend a couple of minutes, speak to the person next to you, and ask them what's the first single they ever bought, or if they're younger than that, song they downloaded, or if they're younger still, the first YouTuber they subscribed to. Is that, what, is that, is, is that relevant? I don't know. Uh, mine was um, vinyl, tragically. It was Kylie Minogue, I Should Be So Lucky, when I was nine. <laughs> Quite proud of that still. So there we go. Have a chat to the person next to you. Right, perhaps you could be drawing your conversations to a close. Is the band getting ready to, to go? There we go. Cool, let's, uh, let's pray together before we uh, worship God. God of love, thank you that you have brought each of us here safely today. We ask your blessing on our gathering here together, that each of us will know your presence here with us. And we ask particularly for your anointing on Amy and the musicians as they lead us in worship, on Matt, Rachel and James as they share their words with us. May we each know your love, your hope and your peace afresh again today. Amen. So my name's Matt, and it's just lovely to be here to uh, just really enjoyed that singing. Thank you so much to, to the band there. That was great. And um, I've been involved in 223 since the start, and it's just a privilege to see uh, old faces and new faces here this afternoon. Um, I've already met quite a few who've come here for the first time, so just a big welcome. Uh, it's just a delight to, to be involved in this event, and uh, we really hope that you uh, enjoy, relax, and uh, gain some, some benefit from being here today. I'm just going to read some words just to kind of focus us a little bit. Um, these are words of a, a, an American Presbyterian, Fred Buchner. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is. In the boredom and the pain of it, no less in the excitement and joyfulness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. So three of us are going to be sharing some thoughts this afternoon, and um, it's around the issue of, of being single. So I'm, I'm single, I, I'm gay, and um, there's just a few things that, that have kind of been mulling around in my head for quite a few years uh, that I thought would be possibly helpful for you to hear. Um, but we are just sharing our stories. We're not theologically trained, we're not ministers, you know, we don't come as experts in the field, but we're just sharing out of our experience and our, our walk with God. And as, as uh, has already been said, you know, singleness might be challenging for you, and I just want to clock that. Um, I don't want to silver line anyone's sort of pain or difficulty around this issue. Um, you know, whether you're here because you're bereaved, you've lost a partner, 
you've had a recent difficult breakup, or even for those of you who've never had a relationship and always longed for one, um, I want to recognize that that might be your reality. But I think where we're coming from this afternoon is to see this singleness thing uh, as a gift and an opportunity and a chance for us to journey with God together into the life that we have. And um, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So um, I hope that's helpful. I had a <clears throat> an email from a friend, Podrick Ochuma, who we're going to hear one of his poems later on. And I told him about the meeting and the subject. And he, he said, um, he's partnered, he's been with his partner Paul for about eight years. And he said to me in the, in the email, um, I've come to realize that singleness is still a thing, even when I'm partnered. And uh, I wasn't too sure what he meant by that, and, but I just wanted to throw that out to you, uh, for, for those of you here that do have a partner. And uh, I wonder whether it's a little bit about feeling lonely in a partnership, not being understood, um, or just the fact that we are our own beings and we come into this earth on our own, we leave on our own. Um, but I'm saying that just so that you partner people keep listening. <laughs> so don't get your iPhones out or anything like that. Uh, there might be something here for you this afternoon. I really hope so. Our current culture uh, in the UK is one of increasing singleness. More and more people are living on their own uh, than before. And it's a growing experience. Um, so certainly if you're single, you're not alone. Uh, I think there's a very particular experience in church, and Sigrun's already alluded to some of that, and there is a culture in church which I don't think always helps a single person. Um, there is a, a, a veneration of the family and the, uh, the institution of marriage, which I think can be unhealthy and tends to possibly make people feel second-rate if they're not in a relationship. Certainly my experience of growing up in a Christian family was um, my parents used to run a, a conference centre, uh, Christian Conference Centre down in Kent and uh, they used to put on an event once a year which was a, a singles week for 20s and 30s or 40s if you could squeeze squeeze under the radar and uh, it was one of the most miserable events of the year it was it was so <laughs> off-putting I'd be knocking around there as a child and and uh, for some reason the majority of uh, people were women and the men that were there were either slightly odd or probably gay <laughs> And unfortunately, that, that is an experience in church sometimes. Um, and certainly as a, as, a, as a kid, that was very off-putting. The whole singleness thing was, was not something that I wanted at all, um, even before I recognized myself that I was gay and all those sort of issues that came up. Um, but as I said earlier, I think this is an opportunity for church to do it differently, and this is opportunity for queer communities to do it differently. You know, relationships and, and so on look very different these days, or can do, and I think... Uh, this is an opportunity to, to change some of the, the, the historical stuff. <clears throat> so, um, I have had a few relationships, I'll be honest, and um, that was all tied up with the whole coming out thing for me, you know, and for me, it, the coming out was, was basically because I felt alone and I wanted to be in a relationship with someone, and that was a big driver for me in the end. Um, it may be different for other people. Um, and so my, my problem was when I just turned 30 and I fell in love with Jesus. Um, but this was, uh, this was the Spanish waiter from Madrid called Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you see my problem? 
Uh, we met on the seafront in Brighton. How did that happen? I don't know. But it was a life-changing experience, you know, falling in love with Jesus. And, um, you know, it was a short and sweet uh, thing, but uh, it really brought me up short because I actually did experience something of relationship and intimacy that I'd not allowed myself before. And it, it, it did set me off to a journey of exploring my sexuality and, and to, to a place of inclusion. That's a different story, really. Um, but I think uh, I just want to clock that for some people... They haven't had those, those experiences and there is a pain, I think, for some people who've never had that opportunity in that relationship. And I just want to say to, to those people, I, I really firmly believe that, that there, is, there is fullness in life for you. That, got, you know, if you've if never had a relationship, that there is still, you maybe haven't experienced something, but actually there is a fullness in life that, that God has for us. And um, I think coming from my background, I, I, I had this thing with, with relationship was that it was, it was a bit of an idol. And I think the culture, the church culture fed into that, but also, you know, the romantic culture, the Hollywood films, just, you know, and I actually firmly believe that being in a relationship would solve all my problems. Um, and I had to get my heart broken a few times. I had to live a little bit and experience a bit to realize that is not the case. And I think we um, can be victim to this thing of, of making a relationship an idol. And actually, we're more in love with being in love than the person that we're, that we're with. Um, and I think that's another thing that, that you people who are in partnerships can help us with. You can help us smash the idol by just being a little bit more honest with us. Um, so this is a plea to, the, to people in relationships. Please don't be smug. <laughs> Please be honest with us. And just remind us of all the things that we're missing. The toilet seat walls. Although maybe for gay people that's less, less of an issue. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, tube of uh, toothpaste battles, the kind of getting on your tits thing, or I'm living with a monster from Planet Zod feeling of being in a relationship. And I think if we can be honest, we can smash the idol and actually just be a little bit more real with each other. There, there is blessing in relationships, and I'm not here as a, as a wizened old queer, cynically looking at relationship. I'm a big fan of marriage. I'm a big fan, fan of relationships. My heart breaks when, it's, when, a, when a relationship breaks up. Um, I love a good wedding, so I just want to celebrate that as well. But I also want us to celebrate what it means to be a single person as well. Um, one, one of the books that really helped me as I was coming out and understanding myself as a, as a gay man was this one, um, Velvet Rage. Has anyone uh, seen this book, Velvet Rage? Yeah, yeah. It's written by um, an American psychologist. It's a bit pop psychology. Um, but it, it really is from a male, gay male perspective. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's, it's, it's really helpful in understanding some of your behaviours. The, the first two-thirds of it is all a bit repetitive because it's talking about the coming out experience and the, the behaviour is often just motivated by a need for validation. And the velvet rage is that, that kind of sense of shame that we push out of when we come out. So you know, the, the drive to be the best, to be the most beautiful, to be the most successful, you know, that's, that's quite a common gay man's experience. And it, it's kind of helpful to understand that. But the third chapter is, is what I really enjoyed. And um, it really talks about how do we live healthy lives as, as gay men. And really, the, the rest of my talk is, is partly inspired by that in terms of the things that I've learned um, <clears throat> in my journey as a single person. So I've probably been single now for about eight years. Um, and despite my horror and initial um, uh, 
uh, fears about that. Um, I think that I've been blessed to get to a place where there is something that I've really learned and valued by these last eight years. I'm not saying that's forever. I think there are, there are some great things about relationship that I would still long for, but I don't feel that my life depends on it, which is a real sense of freedom because I think I was really tied up in the idolatry of it that I mentioned earlier. So um, I've got some points on the slide if uh, Jim could move on. That's lovely. So uh, yeah, so just five points, just little things that I've learned. Um, and the first thing is to be rooted and to be loved. Um, I am so blessed to be in a Christian community in the town that I live in, down, down in um, Portsmouth on the south coast. And I've known these people for about 25 years. We've been in church together. We've um, lived our lives together for, for that length of time. And I'm really blessed because that church has journeyed with me through the coming out. So, and just the way it happened meant that it wasn't a problem. Many of us, we have to leave our churches and, and it's a very painful and, and so on. But um, what happened was the church we were in closed just at the point I was starting to see someone. It's very convenient. And some of us just carried on meeting in homes in a very informal way. And that actually gave us permission as a church community to not have a problem with it anymore. And, and a lot of them had journeyed with me and sort of um, come to see the blessing that, that same-sex relationships are. Um, so that's my community, and I, I just don't want to honour them and identify them as a key part of my singleness um, because I am so connected to them that I have a life that is wrapped up in their lives with their marriages and their kids and all that that is very precious to me, and, and, it, and it gives me a, a real sense of being and belonging. Um, and I think I said at the first thing that motivated me to come out was to find a relationship, and actually I think the, the coming out thing is more about learning to love yourself, and it's building that relationship with yourself. And then once you're loving yourself, you can be loved by others. And I think that's been my experience as I've come out of confidence in who I am, my identity. It's made me more, more available for others. And that's been a very life-giving experience. Um, so if anyone here is here who, you know, they're not really out in their church community or, or, or wherever, I just want to encourage you to start thinking about that and how you might want to do that because there is so much richness out of the closet. Um, being known for who you are, um, yes, you might find a partner, but there's actually so much more to, to the identity of, of accepting your LGBTQ self. Second point, um, invest in your passions. So this is in this book, and what that means is it's not investing in the, you know, your six-foot Jesus from Madrid. It's, <laughs> it's what, what gives you life. Where, where is the energy in your, in your experience? What, what, do you, what do you really love? What, where, where do you find, find your life? And that could be anything. That could be, you know, a hobby. That could be your work. For me, I'm a GP. I love uh, looking after people. I love training new GPs, that's, that's something that kind of uh, inspires me. I love being involved here at 223. I enjoy running, I enjoy singing, I'm part of a choir. These are things that have given me life and have broadened out my experience. And I think uh, it's, it's worth clocking in whoever you are, whether you're in a relationship or not. What are my passions? Where can I give myself to? And often there's a blessing that God has for us in that. Third point, embrace solitude. Um, now, there may be a little bit of variation in the room here. I think the introverts will be saying, solitude, yeah, we love it. 
I'm not really, uh, I'm not really one of those people, or haven't been. And so for me, it was a discipline of learning what it means to be on my own, in my own company, comfortable with myself, but actually also relishing those moments. Um, and I think something like that can feel very hard. I, I, I've been living on my own now for about six years, and, and initially it felt like a punishment. I would, I would come home to an empty house, and I'd think, what have I done to deserve this? It just felt all kinds of wrong. I grew up in a big family. I'd always shared houses and so on. But actually, it, God's taught me how to embrace those solitude moments. And, and, and as I said, there's, there's, there's lots of depth and richness that you can gain from befriending yourself and also spending time with God. Um, I, I also enjoy getting out into the fresh air, running, running along the seafront, climbing the, the South Downs, and just taking time out. And that's what I mean by embracing solitude. It doesn't mean that you, you're lonely or you're alone. It just means uh, it's a discipline. Uh, going on a retreat sometimes is helpful. There, there are silent retreats that are held different places, and I've, I've really enjoyed that. A good one. A bad one is, is quite depressing um, if it's not run well. Um, but uh, some of us have been up to Coromila. Our friend Prodrick has, has run a mean, really lovely, um, nurturing silent retreat for many years. And that gives you that sense of, of being with other people, but silent. It's amazing. It's great. My last point is, uh, no, sorry, not my last point. My fourth point is learning to find contentment. And I just wonder if you could just fast forward to the verse I've got there from Philippians. And this is, um, this is Paul speaking. And if we just have a quick look at that, yeah. So I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in what are the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether li living in plenty or in want. I can do all things, all this, through him who gives me strength. And it's a, it's a really wonderful sentiment, but I think it's harder to achieve than, than perhaps you might first realize. And actually, for me, it's actually a daily decision. It's a daily conscious move to walk this tightrope of, yes, I'm single, Part of me wants to be with someone, um, but I need to live my life to the full, investing in my passions and my community and blah de blah and, and living in that tension sometimes is quite a challenge. It's a bit like a tightrope, and it's very easy to, to, to go one way or the other. And it's, it's like a constant discipline of choice every day. Where am I going to put my focus? Am I going to live life? Am I going to be just waiting for, for, the, for the relationship to come along? And uh, I think if you hang out with um, religious people like nuns or monks or whatever, you, you think they're all they're really chilled and they're really calm and they're really peaceful. But that has come out for a lifelong of work and it's all going on in there and there's a lot of emotion. Um, people might know the writings of Henri Nouwen, who uh, talks a lot about his own personal inner journey. He was a Catholic uh, Franciscan monk, I think. Um, but he, he writes very much about this inner life. And, the struggle to find contentment, it's, it's, it's something to aim for. I don't think it comes easily, but I think it's something that we, we can aspire to as Christians. My last point is, going back to the page, is fostering hope. And um, I just think this is so important for all of us, whatever stage of life we're in. Um, and I've got that song from the Rolling Stones rolling around in my head. Uh, you may not get what you want, but you get what you need. And I think... Um, as Christians, we have a God who 
is for us. We've been singing that today. We have a God who love, loves us. Life is challenging. Life can be really shitty sometimes. Um, this is, we're not called to something that's a bed of roses. But the hope that we have in Christ is our anchor in the storm. It's, the, it's there working beneath the waves, holding us in place, holding us in this place where we know we are safe and ultimately we're going to be okay. Um, we may not get what we want. We may not get the partnership or whatever it is that we're looking for. Um, and there's a quote that I find helpful in this whole thing of fostering hope in our lives. And it's, it's, um, it's a saying of Julian of Norwich, who was this 14th century mystic, lived in Norwich. And she had these visions of God and experiences when she was very unwell. And I think she spent the rest of her life trying to unpack what that meant. But she, she has this saying, if we go to the last slide, and... Um, I, it's just, yeah, the last one, that's it. <clears throat> and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Um, and I just wonder whether we could just say that together, just a couple of times. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Do it again. All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. I pray that just would kind of sit with you and, and that you, as you go away from this meeting, that you just have that, that sense of, of the hope that that brings us back to in, in Jesus that will hold us to the end of our lives. Um, <clears throat> and I do mean that. You know, I, I spent the day yesterday uh, down in Dorset clearing out my parents' house. They've just moved into care and uh, they both have a diagnosis of dementia. And it's a strange thing of packing up my childhood, packing up their lives, but, but they're still alive, but part of them have gone. Um, and it, it's hard to, to kind of get your head around that, really. And yet, they have a, a profound faith. And there is something there of God that is still in deposit, despite the dementia. They're still able to pray. They're still able to be thankful. Um, and I, th I think that really speaks to me, that, that place of gratitude, even though things might get to that point in our lives. Our God is holding us, the anchor. I've got a friend called Matt who lives down in Chichester, and he often says to me when things are uh, a bit tough, he says, don't worry, Matt, it's going to be all right. I've read the ending. <laughs> and so what's the ending, folks? Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with mankind, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So thank you for listening. I'm just going to pray. Um, and we're going to have a minute's silence and then I've got a song that we're going to listen to before we hear the lovely James and the wonderful Rachel just to move our thoughts on from there. Let's pray. Loving Jesus, we thank you for our lives. We thank you for the gift that our life is. <clears throat> we thank you for the opportunities that you give to us, whatever state we're in. We thank you for the hope that undergirds us, that is a foundation and an anchor Take our lives, Lord God, 
And may we reflect something of your goodness and love back. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. Thank you, Matt, for that. Um, so as Matt said, my name is James. Um, I've been coming to 223 now for the last five years. Um, and it's a pleasure to be um, the second person sharing a little bit of a story with you. Um, or as I like to say, bachelor number two. Um, <laughs> which I feel especially like on this stool. Um, but there we go. Uh, so I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to share a letter um, with you. And it's a letter um, that I've written to myself um, as I started thinking around the subjects of being and belonging for today, um, I realised that I'm quite good at existing theoretically. Um, and what I mean by that is that I'm quite good at kind of knowing in my head um, all of the things I should know, the rhetoric of being single, but I have quite a difficult time kind of knowing that in my body and in my heart and kind of accepting that to be true. Um, and so what I've done is I've written a letter from my head to my heart uh, about four key truths um, that I know, but I don't yet kind of accept. Um, and I'm going to share those four key truths with you this afternoon. Um, so you've had Matt's five points, my four truths, and maybe Rachel, you'll share us three. Great, great stuff. There we go. That's why we're a team. Uh, great stuff. Cool. Um, so whilst this is a letter from one bit of me to another bit of me, um, if there's something in these words that kind of resonates with you, um, please also accept it as a letter from me to you as well. Cool. Uh, thanks, Jim. Can we have the first slide? Cool. Dearest heart, though you are single, you have value. That may surprise some to hear that despite an apparent lack of a partner or offspring, you can bring so much worth to a community. And I don't mean filling in those awkward slots on the rotors that married people can't ever seem to do or boosting numbers at dinner parties when there's an odd number of guests. But you have so much to bring because you know yourself, your gifts, your flaws, your strengths, your value. While others were off getting married, changing nappies or procreating, you've had an awful lot of time to get to know yourself, what you like, what you don't. You've explored the limits of your abilities and discovered them to be limitless. And this worth, this value you hold isn't measured in likes or follows or retweets, but in this simple truth, you exist and you are enough. Though you are single, you have value. Though you are single, you have desire, and that is okay. Don't let anyone try and tell you otherwise, try to inhibit you or make you seem devoid of emotion. You have love and lust flowing in your veins. You're not numb to the joys of companionship or the sorrow of loss. You have seen connection in the lives of others and tasted the fruits of connection in the life of your own. You've learned how your spirit reacts in the life cycle of love. And whilst you're no master, you're aware of your needs when it comes to romance. Oh, and honey, don't get me started on passion. Passion is an emotion available to all. It doesn't simply arrive at the termination of singleness. Embrace this side of your nature without shame. Feel the heat. Learn how to channel it in healthy, helpful and faithful ways. To ignore it would be to suppress a portion of the person God made you to be. Though you are single, you have desire. Though you are single, 
you are not alone. Yes, you have known the darkness of loneliness. You have despaired in a space with no one to hear and felt the salt of your tears dry to your cheeks with no one around. But I have come to realise that you are not alone. On the contrary, you're surrounded by people like yourself here in this space who walk your path and share your story, who have had your back and know your name. And no, it's not always easy, but if others looked up from the ground and out for each other and truly cared, it gets easier, except for at weddings. You will always cry at weddings, not because you're happy, but because you're bloody jealous. <laughs> but promise me this, you'll reach out when you need it and offer a comforting arm to others when you can. Cherish those who are with you in the present because life has brought you together for a reason and they may need you too. Though you are single, you are not alone. Though you are single, you are gorgeous. <laughs> Stand in the mirror and see yourself. See the scars on your skin and the scars on your heart and acknowledge the journey you've been on. It's not a journey that's over, but a journey you've traveled. And today, you are here. You've not always seen yourself in this way. The rejections of others have obscured the view of yourself. But I pray that that fog of rejection will clear. And as you stand in the mirror, you will see the glory of you, the glory of us, the person we were destined to become. And if we can't love it, oh, head and heart unite and rejoice in the way this body moves and shifts, the clickiness of our hip, the limpness of our frame, the buckle of our teeth. For without these things, we would not be me. And as this body of ours grows and matures and transforms, remember this. Beauty is not dependent on anyone else's opinion. And can I let you in on a secret? A compliment from a stranger is nowhere near as delicious as a compliment from yourself. Though you are single, you are gorgeous. So, dearest heart, own these four truths of yours. You have value. You are gorgeous. You are allowed to desire and you are certainly not alone. Best wishes, James. Okay, so I'm on, that's good. I'm gonna come from a slightly different perspective and talk to us as a community, wherever you are on the relationship spectrum and wherever you'd like to be. Um, you know you have some moments in your life that you can totally measure the before and after from those moments? Sometimes it's things that happen, sometimes the light just flicks on. Um, one of mine was when I realized that Genesis chapter two comes before chapter three. I know for unless the most mathematically challenged of us, that might not seem to be a massive deal. But for me it was, because Genesis chapter 2 is where God takes this human and says of the human, it's not good for that human to be alone. And however you define the gender queerness of this person from whom God takes all the genders, 
that person was not supposed to be alone. And that comes before chapter 3. So that's before the fall, before sin, before separation from God, before the fiery sword and the wilderness and all of that stuff. So when everything was perfect, before anybody had messed anything up, God said of the person, it's not good for them to be alone. Which makes a good deal of sense when you think about it, as people made in the image of a trinity God. Like water can't be water on, as just one atom, it has to have the atoms together. It would make sense that we're made to be who we are as we interact with each other and with our creator. And that messed with my head because I'd grown up in the sort of church environment where, as you said, the only relationship that matters was family. And if you were a single and you weren't, you probably should be married, but if you weren't, you should be happy with Jesus. And that never quite works, does it? <laughs> Just being honest. I mean, I think we're allowed to be honest. We are in church after all. But it was a revelation to me that that wasn't because any of us were, sin- were sinful or broken. It wasn't because our desires are twisted towards codependency or because we don't have enough faith in Jesus. Like, if I could open myself up to the whole entirety of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through my life, and there was no barrier of sin or brokenness or anything at all in my life, I would still be driven to connection because that's how we're made. It's part of the deal. It's who we are. And it took all the guilt out of it. Because my struggles have not been so much with sexuality as just being someone who's not as neurotypical as others. I find it difficult to make relationships. I need an awful lot of time to process stuff on my own and to get my head in gear. And being around other people takes an awful lot of energy and a lot of thinking. And for a long time, I thought I I probably had some sort of gift of celibacy thing. I'm not sure if I did or whether I was just a bit weird. That's fine, doesn't matter. (laughs) I definitely got to a point where God said, you know, you thought you had a gift of celibacy, you don't have to, that's fine. You can have a relationship if you want to. And that was great. And now I'm in that place where I'm open to offers. (laughs) But, But I don't feel the need, you know what I mean? If it comes along, it comes along. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's absolutely fine. But I still need connection. And my challenge to myself has not been to sit in my house having a meltdown and trying to work out how I cope with life, but to find ways of making helpful connection with people because that's that's how we get our life, that's how we function as complete human beings. Because when we're at our worst, when we, we get driven by our addiction to fill the gap with whatever your thing is, Netflix or drugs or drinking or cheese in my case mostly to be fair um losing ourselves in work or wearing ourselves out on a constant social world because sitting at home is just suffocating in the silence then the problem isn't the addiction that's the symptom the disease is you haven't got the connection there's a study i was reading in a brené brown book last week that sally rutledge gave me at greenbelt that was talking about how uh it was published in the Harvard Business Review, they were studying people who were suffering from exhaustion at work and complaining that there was just too much work and there was this extraordinary correlation between people who were totally exhausted and burned out in their work and people who were lonely. And people started looking at, okay, right, how could we make connections so that you feel differently about this? And it made a massive difference to the feeling of exhaustion people were experiencing. We're supposed to be connected. So as well as the therapy and the 12-step groups for our various addictions, we need to find ways of connecting. So what does that mean for us as a community? If all of us, single, married, complicated, whatever, divorced, bereaved, single parents with kids, 
how do we find these connections and how do we contribute to our church society and the larger communities we find ourselves in? Could I have my first picture, please, Jim? There we go. I love the spelling mistake. It just, it just completes it for me. <laughs> when we live in a society that idolises romantic love so much, and then we come from a church that turns that into idolising marriage so much, we have this whole myth that when you meet the one, that will be all you ever need in your life, and one person will complete you, and then you can retire to your cottage with your kids and never see anybody again, because your life will be complete and happy. And I don't know if you've actually ever met any real families. <laughs> including the Christian ones, that's especially the Christian ones, but it's not very often that true, is it? As Matthew says, we need you guys to be honest, because really the stuff that goes on, it's, it's not supposed to be that way. We all, you need more than one friend in your life. Somebody said about Jesus, the most miraculous thing about him was that he got to the age of 33 and had 12 friends. <laughs> but if that's his model, if he needed 12 friends, where's your list? How many have you got outside of your partnership if you have a partnership we need those connections it's part of how we show love to people as well because like sometimes most marriages you really need other people if only to whinge about your partner occasionally my friends mum and dad they had one of those perfect relationships you know the ones where they did actually meet others complete needs so they were each other's best friends for 60 years and it was a beautiful beautiful thing until her mum died and you can imagine what happened to her dad Apart from not knowing how to cook or use a washing machine or any of the, you know, things of life, his life suddenly emptied out because that was all he had. They had no, there was no protection for him in that instance. And life's harsh, guys. You never know how long you've got. Part of having relationships outside your partnership is building each other up and making each other stronger so, you know, God forbid the worst should happen. But if it did, you know your other half's got some support, some friends and somebody to look to. It's important. The other thing that happens, can I have my next slide now, please? We spent all that time fighting for equal marriage, and it's great. So you guys who are married, who are civilly partnered, celebration, enjoy, totally support and love everything you've got. We love having hospital visiting rights and pension rights and being allowed to have our kids openly and talk about that in school and all the rest of it. It's fantastic. But we get a little bit of... We just turn into the same thing over again. Where we used to have the mum and dad and two kids, and this is like the only way to live, and that has to be your entire fulfilled life. Now we have dad and dad and two kids. Or, let's face it, lesbians, mum and mum and two cats. <laughs> you know the truth. <laughs> but we can get into the thing where we, again, just make a replica of the thing that didn't work in cisgender heterosexual world, and it doesn't work that much better in gay transgender world either. That we can retreat into our houses with our little nuclear family unit, and we don't have those connections outside. Because we forget that that system often leaves people in marriages quite lonely. So we have people in relationships feeling isolated and lonely. We have people losing their relationships and then feeling very isolated and lonely. And we have people outside relationships desperately wanting a relationship because they think it will make them feel less isolated and lonely. But we're not quite, we're missing something. Because there's a bigger picture. 
There's a bigger story going on. So when the Bible writers talk about family, which they do, everybody goes, yeah, mum, dad, two kids, but that's not what they're talking about. Whether it's the family of Abraham travelling in a massive great caravan through the desert, or whether it's Paul sending greetings to the household of Stephanus or Priscilla and Aquila or whoever, you're not talking about parents and kids. You're talking about these massive great Roman villas with... You'd have mums and dads and kids and grandparents and elderly aunts and uncles and business associates and the staff and the slaves and all their families and any person who happened to be traveling through town that needed somewhere to stay and this is why the early church was basically house churches because you have these massive house communities of 50 60 people and it's really easy in that to stop somebody into it that's what they're talking about when they're talking about family and then in our own community we have a tradition, a time-honoured tradition, of those of us who've been rejected by our families of birth or those who found that their families of birth are just too far away, whatever else, we end up in a strange city, of making chosen families to support and provide and include each other. Communities like the 1980s New York drag ball culture impose, unites trans and bi and gay people in an act of cultural resistance that took kids off the streets, gave people space to be themselves, and cared for each other through sickness, through death, especially through the horrors of AIDS before there was treatment. If you haven't watched Pose yet, incidentally, you need to. Alex only got me into it about a month ago, and I was way too late, and it's still an iPlayer, season one anyway. Um, partly because you will never have seen such good, authentic representation of queer um, black people, and particularly black trans women, and there is room in the world for so much more of that. Partly because a lot of those of us under 50 don't really know what it was like to be an adult in the AIDS crisis, and we need to know about that because it was important. But for this, because what it gave me, don't know about anybody else, was this sense that there used to be a vision of what we could do, and we're kind of losing that a bit as we're becoming normal. As we're turning perhaps into our nice little same LGBT nuclear families, um, we're losing a vision of these communities that would include everybody around and bring people in and you haven't got a family, come be part of our family. And that sense of turning out and looking for people and making us part of a community, that broke all the rules. So, my three points. Number one, make space in your imagination for the category of singleness. This is married people. I don't know why it happens. This is like, you know when church leaders talk um, and, they just, and they pretend gay people don't exist? Yeah? You could have a whole church. I, mean, I was at New Wine earlier in the summer and there's, there's preachers on the stage telling everybody that we need to welcome everyone. And you know in their head they are not thinking about LGBT people. And they're saying all the right things, but it's just not in their head. So married people, sometimes you do this with single people, okay? Sometimes you think all the people and you forget about the single ones. So broaden your mind a little bit, okay? So in any group of adults, generally speaking, at least a third are going to be single. Some of that might be by calling. There is a genuine calling by God to be single thing. Not many of us have it. Some by choice. Some people are asexual. Some people might just have other priorities. Some people might just not want to be married at the moment. Most of it's by circumstance, whether that's divorce, death of a partner, or just never met the right person. So please, can we lose the habit of assuming that now we have equal rights, everybody ought to have a partner? Please, can you not tell single people you'll pray for a partner for them? It was really... A, 
Remember that le- intercessor lady in the flowery dress in your charismatic church in 1989? He used to go around and prophesy to everyone that they would have a, a what, husband or a wife. Just, it was annoying when she did it, and it's no less annoying if you're wearing a rainbow pin. <laughs> because as single people, we're not accidental, we're not incidental, we're not incomplete, we're not waiting for another half, we're not waiting for something to happen. We're here now, we're complete now, I'm part of the kingdom of God now, I'm a child of God now, I've got a mission from God now, and I intend on living it. And I'm not waiting for anyone to come along to make that happen. So... And as Protestants, we have kind of, we've seen the mess that some Catholic institutions have made of the celibacy thing in the terms of that when it pushes people into denial of who they are, it has ended up in a lot of dodgy situations. But that doesn't mean it isn't a real thing. There is a real thing of being celibate, and we should respect that where people genuinely experience it. And we should, you know, let's face it, Jesus was single. So if we're making our real role model some, a marriage thing, and excluding singleness and saying that's not enough. We say Jesus wasn't enough, hello. So let's get with the program, make a space. There will be single people, we're not transitional, we're not waiting for promotion to being married, we're not going to be made more holy when we get married. This is it, deal. (laughs) Okay, number two, make space in your lives for people who aren't like you. Do you remember, I don't know who was here in January, we had this thing that people were coming to 223 and they were feeling like they weren't being included and they were being left out. And we worked out why it was, just because everyone's standing in little circles talking to their friends. And we said, could you maybe open your circle and look for someone and include them? And like straight away, it changed the entire dynamic because people felt included. We did that like in two minutes. It was one tiny change, but it really made everybody feel better coming here. So thanks for that, incidentally. Um, but. Can we think about how we can do that mentally in everyday lives? This is two of the Pose characters. Got a trans woman who, and the young lad, Damon, was chucked out by his Christian family, lived on the streets, was at risk of being adopted by gangs and ending up running drugs or dying, and he was adopted into her chosen family. And there's room for more of that in the world, I think. This is what the body of Christ is for. If we only hang out with people like us, Again, run through your mental list of friends. How many are the same as you in terms of are they same marital status, same race, same social class, same level of education, same gender identity, same level of disability? If all of your people on your list are coming up with roughly the same characteristics, it's probably a good idea to look out and see if there's anyone we're missing, if there's people we're missing out. It's unlikely anyone could have time to maintain meaningful friendship with Ed. Like, you don't have to go through the tick list and have everything. Yeah, that's, that's not really a thing. But let's just turn outward a little bit and think, who can I make a connection with? And that's, you know, whether you're a single person yourself or you're a couple yourself. I owe so much in my life to the people who have made a bit of space in their couple life for me to hang out and eat and chat and find myself. And it doesn't have to be a massive amount of space. We're all busy. We haven't got loads and loads of time. But just a little bit of time and a little bit of space... There's plenty of people in this room who've done that for me, and I'm really, really grateful for it. Thank you. So look for places you can build connections. It might be online. Join the gathering space if you're lonely. It's a start. I met a lot of these guys through the gathering space. It might be someone you know from work or church if you've still got relationships there. 
Um, Meetup app is a really good place to meet new people. If you've burned up all your old connections and you're feeling a bit lost and on your own, find some people you've got something in common with. And then we move on to number three, use our creativity to build something different. Because when you get to know people, you start to see where things can get a bit clunky. You can get work out pretty, it doesn't take spidey senses to work out where the problems come, does it? If in your church everything is labelled family events, where do you fit? Friday nights, Sunday lunchtime, you know the times where people automatically do a thing and if you haven't got people to do a thing with, where do you go, what do you do? Holidays, the longer they are, the worse they can get. Christmas gets its own category of hell. On that note, if you're, if you're worrying about Christmas, you're probably already starting to worry about Christmas. So, you know, allowing people to plan ahead and to feel secure is really, really helpful. We've got practical things, haven't we? I mean, you know how expensive life is now. And if you think it's expensive when you're in a couple, imagine how expensive it is when you've got to pay for everything yourself. Housing's a nightmare. And society-wide, we need to start being creative and come up with some different solutions whether that's people being able to be generous with the space they might have in their house, or whether some of you are building developers and can think of some different ways of making housing. But, you know, if we've got a lot of single people around, what are we doing? And what's the effect of that on their retirement and pensions when you spent all your money on rent for the past 40 years? So we need, we need some proper creative thinking. How do we deal with ongoing sickness and mental health? And it goes both ways as well. How does it deal... I heard from somebody who lost their partner and they couldn't talk to anyone about it because their church and their family weren't supportive and would just tell them, well, that's the judgment of God, you shouldn't have been with that person in the first place, your relationship was wrong. How terrible is that? But that person went, have they got somebody that they could say their partner's name to? That they can just talk about them and talk about the memories? So just be aware. Let's have our eyes open. Let's look out for each other. Let's look after each other. Let's make those connections because most of the time, it's not the big deals, is it? It's not, you know, I need somebody to spend the rest of my life with. Sometimes I just need to come home at the end of a really good day and tell someone what happened. Or a really bad day. Sometimes you just need to go for a beer. And of course, people who have partners, sometimes you just need someone to pick the kids up from nursery or dog sit while you're away from the weekend. Sometimes there's a shed that just needs more people to put it up than you have hands in the house. There's a lot of board games you can't play with two players. It's the important things. And the beauty of a different perspective to bring to bear on a complex situation. An objective viewpoint to how difficult the in-laws really are. Someone to go to the football, stroke opera, stroke drag show with you when you know your partner really hates it. So it's not about help the poor single people any more than it's about help the poor married people, though we know you sometimes need it, bless your hearts. But in short, we all need each other, we all need a web of connections because the whole of society is built out of these networks of connections and friendships that hold us together, and if we don't have those friendships that hold us together, we fall apart, and at the moment we are falling apart. And we're really going to need, over the next couple of years, with everything that is happening at the moment, we are going to need the church to be able to build friendships. We need everybody to be able to do it, but the church blooming well ought to be at the forefront of building friendships with people who aren't like us, people who disagree with us, people who are in all the ways different. And honestly, I think LGBT Christians probably should be at the forefront of the church doing it because we have the history.
We know how to do this. We've been making chosen families since the days the first person told us we weren't welcome in a church. So let's keep doing that. Let's not go back onto, oh, now we now have our little partners. We can be our nice little nuclear families. Let's be radical. Let's build the kingdom of God, or whatever you want to call it, if you don't like that terminology, the family of God. And include the outsiders and love our enemies. And let's not miss the opportunity. We're going to sing our final song now, during which we're going to take um, an offering. Um, we run 223 on a, on a shoestring with a few volunteers. Um, we do pay for the use of this building, and because of your generosity, we're able to offer travel expenses and a small gift to our speakers as well. So do dig deep if you can. Thank you. Thank you. So a prayer and a poem to close. Loving Father, thank you for each and every one of your children here today. Thank you for showing us in Hosea 2.23 that you will say to those people called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. As we leave this place, send us out with joy and encouragement and hope to live in your light and build communities wherever we go as your people. Amen. How to Be Alone by Podrick Otuma. It all begins with knowing. Nothing lasts forever. So you might as well start packing now. But in the meantime, practice being alive. There will be a party where you'll feel like nobody's paying your attention. And there will be a party where intention's all you'll get. What you need to do is know how to talk to yourself between these parties. And again, there will be a day a decade where you won't fit in with your body even though you're in the only body you're in. You need to control your habit of forgetting to breathe. Remember when you were younger and you practiced kissing, kissing on your arm? You were on to something then. Sometimes harm knows its own healing, comfort its own intelligence, kindness too. It needs no reason. There is a you telling your story of you. Listen to her. Where do you feel anxiety in your body? The chest? The fist? The dream before waking? The head that feels like it's at the top of the swing or the clutch of gut like falling and falling and falling and falling. It knows something. You're dying. Try to stay alive. For now, Touch yourself. I'm serious. Touch yourself. Take your hand and place your hand someplace upon your body and listen to the community of madness that you are. You are such an interesting conversation. You belong here. <laughs>